I knew John Stallworthy from childhood. We were at the Dragon School together up till 1948. The thing that impressed us particularly from the Dragon School was the masters, and there were some ladies as well teaching, singing the most ridiculous songs at the end of every term. One that stayed with us forever was the song of the great battle between Abdul the Bulbul Amir and Ivan Skavinsky Skavar. I'll come back to that. It's relevant later. John then went on to rugby school in 1948 to 1953, and I went to another school. <clears throat> and he didn't really start on his poetry until he got to that second school after 1948. To my great surprise, I found that <clears throat> he had not uh, got any poems in the Dragon School magazine. But you can read about uh, the development of his uh, amazing ability at, as a wordsmith and a writer of poetry if you read his book Singing School, which covers the period from 1948, when he went to rugby, up to 59. What did happen when he went to rugby was that in the vacations I spent every day in his parents' beautiful house on the top of Shotover, acres of lovely land where we roamed. And his second book is called Out of Bounds because it's describing what we did every single day of the vacation. We used to tramp over the top of Shotover and trespass in uh, the house of a colonel who owned a grand, a grand place called Shotover House. We imagined this colonel with a rifle hiding behind the trees who would suddenly step out and point the rifle at us. In much later life, I learned from his grandson that he was an extremely timid man and didn't have any firearms. But we didn't know that. And so John's second book of poems called Out of Bounds was named after the poem called Out of Bounds, which is included in it, describing our trespassing rambles. In John's words, we broke out over the dead limb of a larch, and in the Colonel's Park, trespassed till supper, trespassed all that year. In the same volume, he wrote a letter to his dear sisters, whom I knew very well because they were in the house too, where I was every day, Wendy and Sally. And the message of that poem was that he couldn't give them any good advice about growing up. All he could give them was his love. What we did all the time in his family garden was to play cricket. John representing New Zealand and I representing India. And we both uh, rather exaggerated our connections with countries other than England uh, um, because we regarded them as more exotic than only being English, though being English was a very good thing <clears throat> as far as it went. This period of spending every day in his house in the vacations ended when we did our military service, which was a sort of interruption between 1953 and 1955. But when we finished our military service, uh, 
His father, John's father, gave me a guitar, and that was uh, very central to what happened in our relationship. We'd already sung the song, Abdul the Bulbul uh, Amir and Ivan Skavinsky Skavar, to entertain his parents in the family house. And at the, cru- at the <coughs> moment of action, I had unfortunately, with a toy sword, smashed uh, one of their lovely light shades, uh, but I was forgiven. Now, what happened with the guitar uh, uh, entirely changed the course of my undergraduate days in Oxford, where we were together in different colleges. Um, In 1957, he changed my life even more because he introduced me to my future wife, Kate. He said he'd got three honeys coming to coffee. Would I like to meet them? And he thought I'd like one in particular. Well, they were all so good-looking, I wondered which one he meant, but it didn't take me very long to find out which was the right one for me. Um, And and I've never changed my mind. Uh, What happened was that John wrote for me songs for performance at cabarets. He wrote a version of Abdul the Bulbul Amir, which was called Humphrey Sproddenis of New, uh, and the man with whom Humphrey Sproddenis did battle was called Ferdinand Count of Lemaine. Uh, John also wrote another studentish song uh, called Frankie and Johnny Were Freshmen. Oh, lordy, how they did love! And thirdly, he wrote a third song for me, uh, again in 1957, when he was head of the junior common room of Magdalen College, and it was the 500th anniversary of uh, the foundation of Magdalen College, and so I sang his song at the ball, and this song was called He Was Only a Magdalen Gargoyle, But He Hadn't a Gargoyle Friend. When I was courting my future wife in 1957 in Oxford, in the term when I took my first exams, we were asked free, she and I were asked free to parties every night, provided I performed cabaret by singing one or another of John's songs. So you could see how his father's present of a guitar had a huge effect on the whole character of my undergraduate days. All this was repeated, rather surprisingly, in Wolfson College many decades later, because John was twice acting head of Wolfson, and on one of the two occasions when he finished his period of acting headship, uh, we had a performance of these songs. Um, To the enormous astonishment of uh, 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 the fellows of Wolfson College, they heard the student songs he'd written for me, which I played with the guitar. And in addition, uh, two very senior members of the college staff, Sue Hales, <coughs> the college secretary, <coughs> and Jan Scriven, uh, sang with me a Māori anthem <coughs> to honour his New Zealand origins. Going back to Oxford days, John had an occupation very different from mine. He played for the second 15 
of Oxford University in rugby football. That was 1955 onwards, throughout his three years at Oxford, and in 1958 he won uh, <clears throat> the Newdigate Prize, that is the prize for undergraduate poetry. And of course, we in Wilson are setting up a, a matching prize for graduate students. That was 1958, and then in 1959, after finishing his undergraduate career here, he charmed Mrs. Yates, Mrs. W.B. Yates. Um, she used to invite people to tea and decide whether to allow them to see the manuscripts of her late husband, W.B. Yeats, the great Irish poet. Her answer up till then had always been no. But John absolutely charmed her, and she produced all the manuscripts. John then pioneered an entirely new way of looking at poems. He was able to see from the crossings out in the manuscripts how W.B. Yeats's thought as a poet developed, how he crossed out his first idea about what should be in the line and substituted something else and perhaps substituted something else again. And not only that, but he persuaded the Oxford University Press to publish a book which was largely crossings out. I think that's the only printed book I know in which deliberately uh, uh, <clears throat> a very large proportion of the lines are crossed out. But it brilliantly shows the thought processes of a major poet. Uh, that was 1959, and we were soon both to go abroad. But uh, before I went abroad in 1962, which was to Cornell University for my first job in the United States, um, he married uh, Jill, Jill Waldock from an Oxford family, who, of course, uh, <clears throat> is known as Jill Stallworthy. It was 1962 that I went to Cornell, and he was sent by the Oxford University Press, for whom he worked, uh, to Pakistan. And he felt very strongly that he'd stolen my birthright by visiting before me the Indian subcontinent, which I claimed in all those cricket matches on his lawn uh, to be my own. Uh, so he wrote for me the lines Strange that to your country I came first, stranger to find myself no stranger now to the pulse of paddles and the gelum mist. Your evening, Richard, fills my lap with light. And of course, light rhymes with birthright, which he felt he'd stolen from me. I was away at Cornell for seven and a half very happy years. Uh, I came back at the end of 1969. Uh, John came back more quickly from Pakistan. Um, he came back, and it was during this period that he and Jill had their first child. And he wrote one of his most famous poems about it. It was set for a long time uh, for a school children's examination in what's called the GCSE exam. It was called The Almond Tree. He describes 
<clears throat> how he came down uh, from up in Headington, I think he was up on Shotover in his parents' house, to uh, welcome his first child, their first child. He drove at 60 miles an hour, which his father always did, because his father was the brilliant head of uh, maternity, gynaecology and obstetrics in that very hospital, as well as being the Queen's obstetrician. And so he was perhaps remembering his father's trips uh, at midnight at 60 miles an hour to Oxford to save uh, a life. He had an amazing record of mothers never dying in the Oxford Hospital. And in his poem, John describes it, the lights were green as peppermint, and there was an almond tree waving him upstairs. And then at the top of the stairs, he describes the doctor's hand upon his arm. I have to tell you, the doctor said. And then he used a very old-fashioned word that we don't use nowadays. He said, your son is a Mongol. Nowadays we talk about Down syndrome. In his poem, John says, as a pilot treading air might study the buckled shell of his plane, uh, he experienced it as a bailing out from a, a crashing aircraft. Uh, as a pilot treading air might study the buckled shell of his plane. But he finishes in a wonderful way by saying to his son, Locked in your body you will remain. Well, I have been locked in mine. We will tunnel each other out. And that is exactly what happened with that darling boy uh, tunneling out. And the boy is full of charm. The whole family has continued the tunneling out process after John. And it was a happy ending and happier still for the next two children, uh, Pippa and Nick. I was still away um, <clears throat> uh, uh, I'm just checking that, yes, I was still away um, in 1967 <clears throat> in Cornell University, but I came back uh, for 1970. And so I was able to hear John give a British Academy lecture on the war poet Wilfred Owen, First World War I'm talking about. And there, in the chair at the British Academy, this distinguished lecture, distinguished audience, there sat a most terrifying lady, whom many people may remember, Dame Helen Gardner. She was the doyen in Oxford of English literature studies and Everybody in that field trembled when she spoke. But John's superb lecture about Wilfred Owen being converted from a gung-ho warrior going to war to the war poet who revealed its horrors. Dame Helen Gardner was in tears. That was 1970. Sadly for me, although I'd come back from Cornell, 1970, John and Jill went in the opposite direction and for nine years, in 1977 to 1986, John and Jill went to Cornell. 
we did uh, manage to uh, visit them there. I had a visit in 1979, uh, but uh, for me it was a shame that after we got together again there was another period of separation. Uh, but in 1986 he returned, he returned to Wilson and to the chair of English literature. <clears throat> By that time <clears throat> he was 51 years of age. So I've been specially describing his first 51 years because those won't be known to most people in Wolfson. Uh, from his return to Wolfson, many people will know of his further exploits and what he did for the college, very great deal. And so I'm not going to talk further about that period, except that I have already told you of our recalling his student songs for me in front of the astonished uh, audience of Wolfson Fellows. To skip to the end of his life, in October 2014, I drove him up to Banbury for his final diagnosis. It certainly took me by surprise. Uh, he only had another three weeks to live, <clears throat> And I learned something about him, even from those three weeks. He didn't want his men friends to see him, uh, myself included, I entirely understood. He didn't want his men friends to see him so physically weakened. That surprised me because I had thought of his wonderful athletic prowess as something extremely pleasing from our youth. I was never good at, at games. Uh, <clears throat> I, I was extremely keen on cricket, but no good at playing it. I was a sort of scholar of cricket. I knew everybody's batting aggregates and bowling averages, and I could explain exactly how you bowl a googly ball. But it was all, um, as can happen with philosophers, the sort of theory of cricket or the scholarship of cricket. He was, and had been, the great athlete. But I learned in those last three weeks that he didn't see that as something of the past. He still saw himself as athletic. And then I understood his choice of the picture, uh, the formal picture of for Wolfson College that commemorates his two periods as acting head of Wolfson. If I had been uh, commissioning such a picture, I would have commissioned John with books under both arms, his wonderful innovative scholarship displayed under one arm, and his beautiful wordsmith poems under the other arm. In the picture John chose for himself, there isn't a single book that he's carrying, not a single book. Instead, what he's doing is striding striding over the Wolfson Bridge, over the Humpback Bridge, and trudging through the snow, fit as a fiddle. Uh, that's how he saw himself. And I then understood why he didn't actually like my favourite picture of him, but I'll describe what that picture is. The picture of him I like 
um, shows him at that age, which is known in Wilson when he was twice acting head of the college. Um, there are lines on his face, of course. I paid no attention to those myself, but I think that's why he didn't like that picture. To me, it's a perfect picture. It shows John about to make an extremely amusing but rather uncomfortable witticism, possibly at my expense. And that was part of the fun of being with John. He was always able to produce a jokes, especially the slightly uncomfortable jokes. It was always a joy to be with him. Uh, I learned, however, in those last three weeks, one more thing about him, that to him the physical prowess, uh, which was a, 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 a great uh, talent, was so important and seemed to be less important than the books of two very different kinds, which I so very much admired myself. I hope these pictures will be available for people to see in the future, along with my very brief description of our doings together over most of our lives. Thank you.